0: I remember going to Disney's internship. The first day they told us that we're not here to teach you how to draw a cartoon character. We're here to teach you to make the best commercials there is ever born. <laughs> what a commercial? Yeah, the biggest advertising. It's called animation. Why? Because they have a whole slate of industry after animation. Isn't that amazing? When they make this animated film, they recognize after that animated film, there is followings of fans that will want to buy not just movie tickets, but they want to buy toys. They want to buy your experience. They want to go to a theme park. They want to experience what Simba experience. So for us as an animator, when we go to Africa, we want to take that experience and that kind of journey for every kid or every big kid that wants to see this film. And they want to experience it over and over again.
1: Hey, everyone. Welcome to episode 99 of the So This Mawai podcast. I'm your host and producer at Lingya, and today's guest is Davy Liu. Now, Davy has a really inspiring story. He's a self described Chinese forest gump who says that God didn't give him the gift of gating straight A's, but did give him a gift of drawing straight lines. His struggle in his childhood defines place, especially growing up in Taiwan, where he was expected to score straight A's, but he couldn't. And when he moved to the US, he ended up in an all black school. But one art teacher transformed his life, telling him that he could do it. And he ended up being a Disney animator after four tries and has worked on films that you will have heard of, like Beauty and the Beast, The Lion King, Aladdin, Mulan, Atlantis, and Star Wars. Do you remember General Shang from Mulan? General Shang was actually drawn based off David. The likeness is uncanny this episode, we talk all about what it was like working at Disney, the art of storytelling, why he left his cushy Disney six-figure job and faced years of panic attacks, divorce, and no money left to support him, and how his faith guided him to founding Can Do film. It's a fantastic episode that you don't want to miss. So are you ready? Let's go. Welcome to the So This Is My Why podcast, where we talk to people about their whys and how they turn them into realities to inspire you to live your best life. And here's your host, Ling Ya. You had a dramatic birth story. You were actually 10 days dead with no heartbeat in your mother's womb. What happened there?
0: My dad has a very famous journal in Taiwan. On August 14, 1968, that day, short paragraph says a baby resurrected from the dead. My dad always reminds me what happened when I was a child. I guess I didn't want to come out, and then the doctor continued to observe, and then eventually I did not come out, and the heartbeat stopped. That kept going on over a week, and the doctor says that's it. You know, after the past ten days, they have shot many needles to flush this dead tissues out, but then finally they're going to do C-section and do surgeries. My dad is a man of faith. He believes that God can change his mind because he himself also experienced something. He Doctors say he only had TB in 1950-something and no cure, and God cured it. He's 96 today, flying over the world, still running his business. So our life, our family has experienced something that's really extraordinary. And then, so the day that they're going to do C-sections, here I am. I came out. My dad told a doctor lesson to listen to it one more time, just be sure this baby is dead, or maybe God changes his mind. I guess God changed his mind. The doctor listened to it and the heartbeat came back very softly. But the doctor says this kid's gonna born dumb. It's gonna have a problem because they injected a lot of medication into this baby's brain. So the doctor thinks this baby's gonna born with complications, with all kinds of physical, mental problems. So anyhow, here I am. I was born. Luckily, I didn't turn out to be like four scump, but I can say I was like four scump in Taiwan growing up.
1: You mentioned a lot about your dad. And I noticed in my research, you also refer to your dad a lot. He was a renowned baker. He ran this Pingguo Mianbao place. Yes, sir. And he sounds like he really influenced you greatly. Yeah. I mean, in what way would you say?
0: It's 55 years now he's been doing this apple bread. He invented apple bread before Steve invented apple computer. 1970. He even invented 1963. Anyway, he loves people. He cares about people. Everything he does is about people. So I grew up, every time I see my dad, he is always selling bread. And then at the end, he would always pray for people. I don't know what it is. I wasn't sure if he's selling bread or selling Jesus. Every time you buy bread from Mr. Lou, you always get prayer from him. So I always knew that there's something extraordinary behind my dad's life. He's more passionate about this God that loves him instead of his business.
1: And what was it like? For you growing up, the youngest of seven kids, you were in Taiwan, I imagine such an Asian context, be a doctor, oh. lawyer, engineer, get straight A's. Yeah. I have a feeling that oh. wasn't you.
0: If you grew up in Taiwan, you go to school system, right? You get thrown in this Olympic gold medal race. Everybody's racing for gold medal. You got to be number one. Anything besides number one, you're nothing. My mom bought into this, so me and my sister and my brother, I and mean, everybody get into this rat race of just, you compete bring the best tutoring, study, 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 go to school seven days a week. I just could not survive. According to Taiwanese educations, I was dumber than Forrest Gump. I just couldn't study. They didn't have the word ADHD at at that time. I mean, I could not focus because the Chinese writing in the books, there's no pictures. But I see pictures, right? Because Chinese, the kanjis and the ink and stuff like that. To me, it's like a perfect QR code. I see pictures every page. But then, when I'm sitting there, I'm not paying attention. The teacher will throw chops at me, and the school will laugh at me. The student will laugh at me because I'm nicknamed called the clown. Because every time I see a picture it's in the text, I start drawing pictures. I start connecting the dots. I start drawing the Confucius. He's too serious. I turn him into an iron robot or something. I didn't feel like I fitted in Taiwan, but what are you going to do? I face bamboo sticks with my teacher. And I come home, I have to face my mom, bamboo sticks. My mom is born same year as Bruce Lee. So she is a year of the dragon. I always say my mom is superior tiger mom. It's more like a dragon mom. She is top.
1: I imagine growing up in that kind of environment, You will have felt as though you have questioned where your place was in the world. And you were still really young, age 13, when you moved to Florida. So you went from this old Chinese environment to this old black ghetto American middle (laughs) school. And you couldn't even speak English. What was that like? That must have been really hard.
0: Yeah, I barely memorized. I wasn't sure the alphabet was 26 or 25. I just remember I can tell ABC. After past O, I could memorize. But then I show up in America. And my mom always has a way of explaining everything. My mom says, I know your English is not good. Just say yes to everything. So I showed up in Orlando, Florida, right? Orlando, Florida. And then I'm the first Taiwanese kid landed in an all-Black school. I thought we was going to America, but I showed up, I thought I was in Africa. I mean, it was all Black kids. And every Black kid's never seen a Chinese kid. I struggle. I can't understand what they're saying because the English that I learned in school, it's different than this black English. So long story short, they never seen a Chinese guy. They thought I look like Bruce Lee. So they eventually want to challenge me for a fight. They asked me, I know Kung Fu, I said, yes. What color is your belt? I said, black, because in these middle schools, leather belts all black. How many degrees? I counted. I count how many ho I have in my belt. It's, you know, I'm eight degree black belt. So ever since then, I told these black kids, they never mess with me. Then I hurry up. And my father shipped me a nunchucks because I barely know who Bruce Lee is. And I started dressed dress like him, look like him. That's how you could protect yourself, you know. Have you guys ever heard my TED Talk years ago? Some guy heard my stories and they love the inspiration of Taiwanese family go to Orlando. And then there's a TV show called uh, Fresh Off the Boat was inspired by my uh, immigrations.
1: I imagine people thought you're Bruce Lee. You were not Bruce Lee. But then I heard that your eighth grade teacher, Poppy Kincaid, who really transformed your life, allowed you to figure out what you wanted to do. So what was her role in your life?
0: Well, that is the turning point of my life. In Taiwan, every day I faced test paper. Everything has only one answer. Then I went to America. My art teacher gave me a piece of paper that's all white. There was no underscore. There was no perfect answer. She gave me this piece of paper and she said, Davey, I heard you love to draw. She said, you can do it. Oh, man, that word was so powerful. I didn't want to let her down. So I went home. I took my homework assignment. She wanted me to draw something rather than Chinese. So I drew a Chinese dragon and I gave it to her as a homework. And that drawing became top 20 in the whole United States in 1982. That became a sensation to my family and everybody else because I am the biggest loser in Taiwan. Then I came to America with this Chinese dragon drawings because she believes in me. And I want to show her that, yes, I can do it. All that time, my mom wants me to be this doctor, lawyer. I use this metaphor. I said, hey, you know, God, uh, my mom want me to be a bee, a cricket. I'm a firefly. I might look like an insect but I have a different purpose. I can't make straight eggs, but I can draw straight lines. So that's what I talk about. I talk about finding your gift, man. Don't imitate. Don't like, oh, I wish I can be so-and-so. No, there's all of it. We all have a unique gift. I hope every kid or every parent, beginning when your children is young, start believing that they can do it. Don't put them into a box says, well, you're at so-and-so, so therefore someday you're going to be though. No. Give them empty piece of paper okay, mentally, and just allow them to find who they are. Yes, they still got to study. Yes, they got to do their chores, but allow them to discover who they are. Are they a bee, butterfly, cricket, or firefly?
1: It's one thing to find your gift, though, and another thing to make it what you do with your life. At the time with Poppy, did you figure out and think that this is what I'm going to do with my life, and were your parents accepting of it?
0: (sighs) I didn't think about making a living, but I do know my mom told me, hey, uh, it's nice that you won awards and drawings, but that's a hobby. All right. Nobody take artists, a career. Having you heard a starving artist. I mean, my uncle, everybody, my relatives in Florida tells me, don't do art, man. Go pursue something like a real skill. All right. Drawing. It's not a real skill. Yeah, I have all this. I don't want to say negativity. They love me. They just want to protect me. I understand. A firefly, man. That's all I can do is shine, all right? I mean, that's all I can do is shine. I can't get honey. I can't play music. The only way that I could be happy, and when I say happy, meaning that's what I'm good at and dream about it. I just love art. And then I remember going to libraries, still couldn't understand English, but I could understand pictures. And then like when I came America, the libraries, I saw Michelangelo. I mean, I was like, wow, Michelangelo, he was my hero. I mean, I saw everything he does. I love drawing. And then especially when I was, you know, 13, 14, I love drawing nudes. I just love Michelangelo. And you know, then my mom was worried about me going to the library and checking out Playboys. You know, it was just struggling, trying to become an artist. But to me, it's not possible because my mom just doesn't think that's a real career.
1: Apart from obviously your well-intentioned parents, your relatives who were very concerned with your love for art, I noticed that in high school you were the art school president. So is it safe to say you also had peers who actually also loved art and they would have encouraged you along this path in spite of all the negativity?
0: Yeah. In high school, I I drop out the art class real quick because it wasn't serious. The art class in high school was a joke. It was more like a daycare art class. So I started turning it upside down. I started becoming the president. I started leading the art. I want people to really know what art is. Art is not just taking an art course. I mean, you just sit there and do the basic art. is really study the art history and beauty of where the beautiful art comes. So yeah, I became a yearbook club. I drew all the faculties. I just love art. I was very focused. I didn't know what school I was going to. I didn't know what I was going to do. But, you know, one thing I love is I have this curiosity of this stay stupid and staying hungry. And I just love art. Anytime I can get a book studying about art, I just want to learn. Even though I couldn't understand English, but I could see the picture and I could see the variety of different artists in the last few centuries that human has tried. So I kind of pretty much self-learn. I start copying at home. That's what you do when you're amateur. You just kind of copy it and looking at it and I even look at some of the Chinese paintings but uh, I was just so into European art. That was my favourite.
1: For you to have loved art so much to make it your life essentially out of school, what was it like to go on a scholarship to Atlanta College of Art and realise that actually abstract art wasn't for you and you had to switch and find yourself? There must have been a really difficult period.
0: Yeah, it's quite confusing. You think all art school are the same? No. All art school is not created equal. So, When I went to art school, nobody told me, but later on, I found out that if you go to art school, only less than 3% actually could become a real professional. So the 97% end up paying debts. If you're going to pursue art, you're going to be passionate. This is not like just getting a degree. So when I went to art school in Atlanta College of Art in the first year, I noticed all my classmates, they all have like rainbow hair in the, the 80s. They all look like punk rock. Everybody all look like an artist, but I'm the only guy kind of look like just a regular engineer guy. I don't have holes, no tattoo. I don't smoke. I don't do drugs. I just go to class and I just want to learn about art. And I noticed one semester going to it, I'm all like, oh my gosh, everybody's doing abstract stuff in the first year. They really don't understand and learn how to do the basic foundation of drawings. Every kid dream about becoming the next Picasso and Andy Warhol. That's just not realistic. No wonder you're going to start So I told my mom, I threatened my mom, I got to change, you know, even though I get a free scholarship here, but I wasn't learning anything. I had to tell myself, says, this is not what I'm passionate about. I didn't want to become an artist without learning what art is. I didn't want to quickly jump into the abstractions because I honestly, I couldn't stand it. At least for me, I was 16, 17. I didn't feel like that was for me, man. I don't believe that doing abstraction art is something that I could pursue. So I threatened my mom. I, I even quit school. And I think that's the difference. It's like when you have to follow your inner voice, even though in the Chinese culture, like you're standing up against your mother. Uh, here's my mother. I didn't have a normal mother. My mother is Bruce Lee. I mean, I have to be tough. I have to say, mom, this is my life. I got to do what I think is right for me. Okay. My parents are still running their bakery business in Taiwan. Typical 80s at that time. They're very busy. They don't have time for you. If you need money, they, you know, which is very nice. But man, I wasn't very close to my mother and father. They just didn't know who I am. That's when I discovered who I am. I know who I am. I want to be an artist. I don't know what kind yet in 1988 at that time. But I transferred. And then my mom finally says, okay, fine. You know, so I went to Ringling School of Art and Design. That school changed my life. I quickly understood that. Oh, so you can actually make a living as an artist. So that was illustrator. Ah, I think I can do this.
1: You said before that in your third year at Ringling, you saw yourself as an artist. Why was it third year?
0: Yeah, because then I can see career, right? I mean, I got to be a responsible to myself. I have to answer, okay, am I going to go from street to street and sell paintings? No, I don't see that being me. But when I understood what an illustrator does is basically, illustrator is, I see some of these very famous artists at that time in the 80s, right? Brian Holland, you know, there's all this different illustrator making a living. And I saw their painting and I saw their drawings and they all have a style. And they basically get jobs from Time Magazine, some of these large publications. And I was like, I, I think I can do this. I could see a career. When you talk about becoming an artist, there's such a variety. It's such a big university of what art can be. But doing an 80s at that time for me, I need to see who am I going to be in five years from now. An illustrator, that's when I saw, yeah, I can be an illustrator. Not just an artist, but I'm an illustrator, meaning that I'm going to be doing at least basic things survival, is editorial illustrations. So at least I can answer to my own self, say, hey, okay, I'm going to graduate with an illustration degree.
1: And at the time, around 1987, you was 18 did you go to Cocoa Beach for surfing? Oh, yeah. And that was another huge moment in your life as well.
0: I would say that's huge. I think this is right before I went to Ringling. I was so lost, man. I, I was disappointed with the art school I was going to, even though the scholarship was great. I did not know who I was going to be. And I was working on my uncle as a dishwasher. Man, I was 17 years old or 18. I was so broken. I was so disappointed. Okay, I guess I'm not going to be an artist. I'll work part-time as a dishwasher in my uncle's Chinese restaurant. And then I'll just draw it home, right? And then that summer, I went to Cocoa Beach when I experienced something extraordinary. I grew up in churches. I grew up hearing about God created me, but I feel like God is so far and it's too abstract. I don't think God has time for me. And something happened. I go to Cocoa Beach. I go there surfing. I was out in the ocean for 45 minutes and I was caught in the water undertow. And the, for the first time, I'm beginning to realize the purpose. I ask myself, what is the purpose? In that 45 minutes, when I'm helpless, I know I'm going to die. It's beginning to help me to step back of all the things I want to pursue. Does that have meaning? I mean, I start thinking about all these things, and I am so thankful. I would tell you, it's terrified me. But that moment is when I personally believe that there is this God that loves me and that he came as a human form, and his name is Jesus. I know as a kid, my dad would talk about Jesus, but to me, it's just so far away, it's not realistic. But that moment, maybe it's a tragic, but it became a blessing. It became a major turn of points where I, 17-year-old, wake up and realize the purpose of my life. Does it just become an artist? Is that what my mom's telling me? Every day, study cars. so someday you make a living. That's all she ever told me. The ultimate is making a good living. But then I have a better purpose. I recognize that God's giving me this gift to draw straight lines. It's to reflect what this created God created me to be. I get to reflect how good God is through my innovative, creative self. So when I realized that that was the purpose, nearly drowned, I was extremely thankful. I had a personal connection. I now have this personal faith that I embrace. And now I have this goal. I know I have this purpose, why I need to shine as a firefly.
1: You now had this purpose. You had dedicated yourself to God. You knew you loved art. But how do you make that into a reality? Did doors just suddenly start opening?
0: You know, it's really lonely when you're all of a sudden this dramatic, right? Honestly, at that time, I was skinny. I was dating a girl and I was barely eating. I was just not healthy. When I came back from that drowning incident, I realized how much God knows me and loves me so personal. It has changed me in such a profound way that even my parents was shocked and terrified of this new version of David. I was introvert. I was quiet. I was insecure. I didn't know who I was. I tell you, after that drowning, as I walked back from that ocean, I became a new person. I would go to school, and day by day, I start finding this four friends that has the same faith as me in Ringling, and we begin to pray. We begin to get together and share our experience about this visually as an artist. I can't see God, but I can. I don't want to say feel, but I slowly can unveil see the masterpiece in everything He created, and all what an artist does is really imitating. In the Bible, the first verse says, "In the beginning, God created." That's God's first attribute. And I have that attribute in me. That came from a designer that had designed me to create. And it brought such a satisfied fulfillment. When I go to draw figures in school, I have a purpose. When I study art history, I have a purpose. Because everything aligned of how this amazing God created this epic universe and every single human life form, animals, anatomy, everything that white piece of paper now has given me a mission. And when I draw, I believe that the pleasure that I felt was a pleasure that God, when he created me to become an artist.
1: And how did you become an artist? Because I think that was around the time where murray came out, right? And Disney was going around looking for interns as well.
0: If you're going to go to art school, a foundation class, meaning drawing, it's so important. Figure drawing, piece of paper and a charcoal stick or pencil. If you can draw and understand dimension. And that's what the school I went to, Ringling, the difference of that and Atlanta College of Art. When I went to the school, they really emphasized on foundations and draws. And my art teacher happened to be Italian. He's a living Michael Angelo. I mean, he's just talking how to draw figures, right? Disney knew this school was very, very good. At that time, there's only a few schools in the country, in America, that really teach solid foundation drawings, and Ringling really happened to be one. That was in Florida and Sarasota. It's only a couple hours away from Disney World. That's my hometown. When Disney came to our school, I see that they only recruit a student out of every graduate every year in America. I was like, wow, that's like getting hit with the lighting. So of course I tried the first time. I didn't make it second time. And then I see a couple of my senior years friends, I was junior then, and they got into Disney. It's like, wait a minute, this potentially could happen. I saw their work. So now third time I try to improve. Most of people pretty much don't try because they know it's too hard. On the fourth year, I didn't finish my college. I never graduated. I still missed two credits, but Disney recruited me. I got in and I just Left college and I just started working with Disney.
1: Didn't you intend for it to be a three month internship because you wanted to go and leave for Hallmark? But then you stayed yeah. for years wow. in Disney. What happened?
0: Well, disney's not my dream job. You know, I, mean, I sing like Pinocchio and like a Mermaid, but it wasn't my dream job. But I said, okay, three months. It's near my home. I just live with my parents, so I went there for three months. The first day, I recognized that my art school actually begins in that internship in Disney. I recognized all the people I worked with. At that time, they were working on the movie Rescuer Down Under in 1980, 1990. I was blown away how amazing the structure, right? The, from storyboard to character design to a layout and then doing design of the background. I love painting. So background painting was my dream. And here's Davy Lou's being Davy Lou. And at that three months, They say they only look for animators. There was eight intern in our internship, and I told the current president of the Walt Disney at that time, Max Howard, and I said, fine, I'm not an animator type, man. Animation is too boring because one second takes 24 drawings. I have ADD, I can't sit still. I mean, I can't do 24 drawings per second. That'll take me a week. So I told him that I want to really focus on background painting. So I insisted in my internship final project, I want to do background painting. I want to design I want to do production design, and long story short, my final project, I created my own little films, and then I ended up going hired not as an animator, but as a background production design. I noticed a lot of people, when they get frightened, they don't know what they want, so they kind of let other people sit their track, and here I am, I was ready to leave Disney. If they don't hire me as an animator, I was hired because I was good at what I was doing, and I didn't just do this to prove to anybody. I have to be honest that if I stay in Disney, I have to do something that I passionate love, which is painting, design. can't do animation. It's just not me.
1: When you make that request, were you worried? Was there any pushback or were they very accepting?
0: No, I, I wasn't worried because I would die. My spirit would die if I stay there and do animations. At that time, there's no computer. I mean, you're flipping five pieces of drawings and you're constantly just redrawing and redrawing and just doing the motion and movement of the character. No I like painting too much. So was it there's fear? No, not at all, because I knew that there's other company that offered me a job that I would go there in a heartbeat. At that time, I would love to work at Hallmark, you know, to design greeting cards or just do fun illustrations every day. I didn't think about staying in Disney.
1: What I thought was so fascinating is that in Disney, it takes four years to make a film and three years just to plan, which sounds like an unbelievable amount of time. What do those four years encompass? What does it look like?
0: Well, that's because Disney really take their time. Okay. I mean, excellence does take time. In the first year, it's really rough. It's just developing concepts. Second year, if this project survive, they maybe get a few more people to do storyboards, maybe some character designs, some ca- paintings. And then if this project really survived on the third year, you start seeing visual development. You start seeing solid characters and... Project make it to third year, it's most likely they're gonna make it into the final fourth year, right? So Lion King and uh, another many other projects, all like probably start with ten projects, and the eight project will get forfeit on the second year. Mulan and Lion King Beauty, they made it through the second year, and they eventually got green light, and then make it through the third year, and then the fourth year, which is you know twenty. 2,000-some people will work on the final production. So that's how Disney does things, right? they really filter They want to make sure there's a market for it. They got to make sure the story is excellent. When I went to Asia, I did a lot of consulting there in Taiwan and China and other animation studios. The problem that I see outside of Disney, like the Christian stuff, they just don't have that kind of discipline. And I understand they don't have that kind of budget. They want to do it quick. They want to, like, get this thing done in one year. But, you know, it's scientific. If you just take your time and really sharpen your craft and really focus on stories, most people just focus on animations. And unfortunately, a great story is a great story. You can do it in a stick figure or matchsticks. It could be still excellent. What I was impressed with Disney, learning from Disney, is they really invest in storytelling before they do all this heavy-duty animations.
1: I imagine at a time, because you first started with Beauty and the Beast, nominated for Best Picture. Then there's Aladdin made 300 million and there was Lion King, Mulan. I imagine with each success, not only was Disney invested in storytelling, you also wanted to constantly push and be better and better and better than the one before. What was that like? Must have been tremendous pressure as well because you were already setting huge landmarks.
0: Yeah, we call in Disney that we have to outdo ourselves because we didn't have a competitor. Disney is it. We did not have competitors. So how do you do something that you outdo yourself? Absolutely. So you have to tear everything down and start over. Whenever we do something like Vietnamese, Aladdin, and Lion King, Mulan, I mean, everything we do, we can't duplicate. You see, that's the difference. Duplicate, right? Asia mentality is like, oh, I found a success. So the formula success is this and this and this. So when I was in China in this animation studio, they're like, we finally figured out the creativity formula. We realized Disney's, all the animations, every 10 minutes, there's something sad. Every 30 minutes, something something happy. And then an hour later, something dramatic. And then something really sad. So they take that formula and they duplicate it. Do you see what happened? It's the Asian mentality, it's always manufactured. One thing about creativity, you can't duplicate it. Creativity is alive. Creativity has a new breath every day, every project every person breathe that creativity. It's when you quantify it, you want to make it into a timetable where you can memorize creativity. That's when you kill creativity. And that's what I keep talking about. That's why I have this Kindred Creativity Workshop that we run in our studio outside of campus and school to over. We offer it to other schools. We talk about creativity. What is creativity? So they really can do all that in the Kendo workshop that we do here. We host it in America and virtual.
1: I love that you talked about creativity is alive. And I think lots of creatives would resonate with that. But at the same time, I also understand why people have productized it. They've made it into a timetable because if it works and it works, I've invested tremendous amount of time. I've invested tremendous amount of resources. I can't recoup these millions if it doesn't pay off. So how do you find that balance of really exploring, pushing the boundary, but also... I can't afford to take the risk for it to fail.
0: Yeah, so I have to be fair. Disney last year spent 28 US billions in developing new content. I have to be really fair. Disney is the ultimate giant of animation. In Disney, our formula is to create seven films and all it does out of that seven, all it needs one home run. So that means you can allow six failures. So even six failures in Disney is not losing money, okay? Disney's been around. They have their culture. They kind of have all the system that they do. They set up really well. And they continue to use that scientifically. There is a pipeline that Disney does very, very well. So let's say you have a startup animation company. There's many animation companies in Hong Kong or in Taiwan. All the investors just hoping that one film and that's it. Boom, let's make it a home run it just doesn't work that way. Pixar is a perfect example. Pixar was invested by Steve Jobs, right? First of all, no studio can find a person like Steve Jobs that has a vision, that understands this is a long-term investment. So a lot of these Asian people, they invest in animation, they expect it to be the same return. Like, you know, if I invested it in two weeks, two months, they're trying to plant this like a flower. They want instant success. If you want to get an animation industry, you're going to really have to prepare for seven years, at least seven years. Create at least three films, okay? Three films. So that milestone, three films, hopefully that one film will succeed and you'll create a brand. So animation is like planting a tree. You can't expect planting a tree and have the same result as the flower. Like plant a flower in two, three weeks, I can see the result. Animation, you got to give it some time to see the yielding of the harvest. And again, Pixar is a perfect model. They took a few films, Toy Story, Finding Nemo, Monster Inc. It took them a few films until Disney had brought the beast. Pixar became the ultimate, even beyond Disney. Why? Because Pixar waited. You got Steve Jobs that eventually invested 20 million to prolong this dream of Pixar, that their dream can be realized. But it's hard. In Asia, one film is tank, that's it, they're done. And it's too bad. And I see animations in Asia. First film is training. It's internship to your company. Second film is tried out. Third film is potentially that you will learn all this ecosystem of animation. It's not going to find that in ch- anywhere, not in China. You see them do one film well, they make a lot of money. Disperse, And that's why you don't see animation industry rise up in Asia.
1: What would you say makes a good story?
0: What what I say is a good story. I wish I can answer that in one minute for you. But I would say the secret of making that good story, number one, is it something that is global? When we created B2B's Aladdin, the Lion King original is a story about a tribal family. It's about a black tribal family. It's a folk story. Then we want to make something Chinese Mulan, right? What makes a good story is find that universal language. What is that universal language? love forgiveness bravery triumphant right you fail but you get up again i mean these are all universal stories these are universal key content those makes the key of any successful story whether it's animation live action or even comic books those are very very universal so that's the basic criteria of a good stories and of course each story is a different journey you can't quantify, like, one story is successful, so therefore duplicate every single one. Can you imagine Mulan and Lion King? I mean, all of them have the same kind of growth and same kind of contrast at the end. That would be so boring and so predictable.
1: I love that you mentioned The Lion King. I heard you once mentioned that, actually, The Lion King, when you first started, all the great animators didn't want to work on it because it was considered a dump. And Why That's was right. that? How did it change?
0: Well, that's because Disney has, they prioritize, So they only have A, B, C crew. The A team are like the best animator, best director, the best everything. And then B are like the B animator, you know, so the B team, C team. So we're kind of like the rookie, you know, I'm just graduated. The Lion King was considered C. So the budget is different too. Like A film, Beauty and the Beast was like D film. They focus on it. They put a hundred millions on it. Aladdin is like a B-film, Was film film, like $80 million. Lion King is more like $60 See, They prioritize differently because they don't expect everything's a home run, but they do shift and rotate different teams. Yeah, Lion King, I'll tell you, who would have known, right? We hired not the best. I mean, Elton John at that time was nobody. People kind of forget who he was. He was a famous 70s disco guy. All of a sudden, 90s, you bring him back. Is people going to recognize Elton John again, right? Then you got this new composer, nobody knows who he is, Hans Ammer. So all this risk that we took, right? These are what the C budget, but it has the A-team result. I mean, it became a huge sensation. Who to know? Nobody. Even Disney doesn't know the perfect formula for success.
1: It's so fascinating to hear you say that because for me, I grew up with it. I loved it. For me, that was an A-film the whole way through. And I wonder what it was like behind the scenes. I heard little things you shared before, like, You went to Africa, I was in Africa where you turned that whole story of the Black family into a lion and a cop. Is that what happened? Like, what were some of the behind the scenes?
0: Yeah, I remember going to Disney's internship. The first day they told us that we're not here to teach you how to draw a cartoon character. We're here to teach you to make the best commercials there is ever born. (laughs) What, a commercial? Yeah, the biggest advertising, it's called animation. Why? because they have a whole slate of industry after animations, Isn't that amazing? When they make this animated film, they recognize after that animated film, there is followings of fans that will want to buy, not just movie tickets, but they want to buy toys. They want to buy your experience. They want to go to theme park. They want to experience what Simba experience. So for us as an animator, when we go to Africa, we want to take that experience and that kind of journey for every kid or every big kid that wants to see this film and they want to experience it over and over again. And they want this beautiful character resonate in their cups, in their backpack, right? I spoke in Procter and Gamble in Singapore. In Asia, it's like upside down. Imagine if there's a pyramid, the pyramid on top of the pyramid, it is the animated film. That is the top of the pyramid. In Asia, it is upside down. Asia start with products, product without stories. I talk to all of this big corporate. I say, you know, you ever seen Disney sell products? Never Disney sell story. They sell inspiration. Asia don't know what creativity is, but we have the best products, right? We have all the amazing products. I talk about creativity. How do you embell creativity? I always said when I go to Taiwan, I grew up, we have this really amazing rice cake that we sell in my store. And there'll be 50 packs of it, 50 of them in a pack. A big bag of it, right? In a wrapping, maybe a newsprint. Wasn't really exciting. Then you go to Japan airport. It's the same rice cake. The design of the package is just gorgeous. It takes half an hour to open it up because they wrap that thing as of you open up a piece of diamond. You see, presentation, creativity, give your product stories. That's something that Disney does really, really well. And that's the part that's pure creativity. It touches people's heart. People don't come to you because you have the best toothpaste or the best shampoo. If you can give your shampoo or toothpick a story, people are going to be emotionally connected with your product. And that's the difference between Asian mentality with their marketing and the way we talk storytelling, commercial, we call it, of the outcome. And I mean, Lion King, $60 million. Today, up to date, it's over $14 billion in licensing. billion in licensing, not in products. All of that is royalties. Every kid wants to buy Simba cups, Simba toilet paper. I mean, anything Simba. I really hope that through this podcast, the Asia people that hear this thing, that they'll rise up. I keep talking about we Asian people, you know, we are like a cow for the West. The West In America, or the West Society are like the cowboy, they kind of drive the industry. Asian mentality, it's like everything is, you know, I grew up made in Taiwan, made in China, made in Hong Kong. We don't create, we just duplicate. We just do manufacturing. And that's the same thing with our education. And that's why this powerful innovation that once upon a time, at least in China, they created the gunpowder, the the compass, the paper, you know, they've made the biggest great wall still today. That has been lost all because... You got mom and dad that didn't believe their kids can do it.
1: Let's go back because you also mentioned Mulan. And that is really, really unique just because how many times do we have an Asian story being told in a Western context? What was it like working on this film?
0: I remember in Taiwan, I studied the story of Mulan. To me, it's so boring. I mean, honestly, it's just so boring. So when we brought the Mulan thing, I don't want to be about Mulan because it's just so boring. So we got to add characters like Mushi or some other fictional character, right? I mean, if you look at Mulan, the real hero are Mushi. It's definitely not Mulan. So that's why I talk about creativity, right? You take a subject, but you're using another secondary character and making secondary character in an unnoticeable way. Mulan is just a canvas. The real fun entertainment character is that Mushi. If you watch Mulan without the Mushi, completely boring in Asia, it's like, oh my gosh, I got a big news. Another big company hiring the biggest actor in China. Guess what they're making? Monkey King. Oh my gosh, how many thousands of version of Monkey King? You see what I'm talking about? Asia gets caught up in this little tunnel that they just absolutely embrace and they just do the same stuff over and over and over again. You know, China is supposedly 5,000 years in history. There's a lot more things than Monkey King. We don't have to keep doing Monkey King, all right? So again, you know, I I just hope that through this podcast that somebody, please, don't make another Monkey
1: King. I hope people do hear and remember this. You mentioned just before we move on, Mushi. What's the backstory to Mushi? How did the whole character come about?
0: Well, we have other characters besides Mushi, but we knew for sure dragon is a real big thing in the Chinese culture. We have to have a name Obviously, Mushi, it's not a dragon. Mushi came from a very famous dish in America, Mushi Pork. We knew it was going to be a dragon. We didn't want to make this a big, scary dragon. We knew that this dragon is going to have to have a Timo and Pumbaa character attitude that is fun and playful. So Mushi is just a young, fun character that every kid can relate to. It's not perfect. It's fumbling and it's falling. I would think it's a Western version of a Chinese. Like if you ever eat Chinese food in America, like you can't have a pure Chinese food. A real white American people, they don't really eat pure Chinese food. You can't. You gotta kind of Americanize it. So I would say Mushi shi. It's kind of like the bridge of a Chinese character and American character mixed all at once. So Mushi can kind of slowly allow children to embrace the Asian culture through this cute character that we designed.
1: You've talked a lot about this contrast between the East and the West, how it's just imitating being original. Given your global perspective, what is the thing that we can do to encourage people in the East to be more creative and to just go beyond? Giving allowances, telling people to follow their dreams, giving more conferences where you bring together people from all different industries. What are the practical ways to change that culture?
0: It begins with the family, okay? And when I say family, it begins with the mom and dad beginning to see their children, what they are unique. What is their specialty? Now, I'm not saying every kid is going to become an artist. What's going to change this universal innovation thing that can break through? It's that parents start believing that their kids is unique they can do it. Okay. They, so they go to the school. Yep. Every parents are frightened that their kids grow up where they won't be good to anything or they won't get the best job or become successful before you go to there. Don't forfeit what their life's calling is. Take time to pause. Our kids are going so busy going nonstop. Hopefully more parents believe in their to give them more room to grow and discover themselves. Have you give your children a blank piece of paper? When I say blank piece of paper, I'm saying emotionally, mentally, physically. Don't give constantly a SAT paper that they got to have a perfect answer. Allow them to have that some room. Is it 10% of time that this kid can actually sit down and reflect on all the things that you're trying to love them with? Can they embrace something that it's them that only they can do? That's really hard. You go to Taiwan, there's still tutoring school every corner, every street, every alley. Same thing with China. We are all in this race of trying to get into Harvard, the best school, the best educations. That's important, but if you don't know if you are a firefly or you're a bee or you're a cricket or butterfly, what's the point of studying education? I know I'm speaking this as a metaphor, as a parable, but I hope parents understood. I speak in Taiwan. And I say, I'm a firefly. I found out a firefly. So when I'm done, I usually do book signing and all that stuff. This mother, I remember she was just in tears and feels shameful. She said her son was in high school taking tests to go to college. She said, my son is also a firefly. After hearing your speech, I'm going to encourage him to be a firefly. Thank you so much. But of course, three days later, her mom changed her mind. Her son showed me the note she wrote in the Facebook. She called her son Shao. Xia Xiaowu, hey, uh, mom, change your mind because I believe that there's only one Davy Lou. I don't think you're that lucky. Oh, no. I mean, it's just so sad for a mother to confident only last no more than three days. And the same thing here. I spoke in an elementary in a parent day. And blonde hair mom came up to me and she cried and sobbed. And she said, thank you so much for reminded." We all have a firefly children. I have a son here, go to this private school. The brother is straight A, the sister is straight A, and Brian is the middle. He's a straight C, and he's not happy. He's depressed because he feels stupid. He doesn't feel as good as siblings, So when, but he left to draw. He left to draw. I was trying to find a word to encourage him after hearing your speech today. I quickly ran to find my son, Brian, and I pulled him. I told Brian, I said, Brian, you know who you are? You are mommy's favorite firefly, and I am so proud of you. You see what a big difference. It's the same speaker, but the different outlook, different response, different affirmations and empower your children. One couldn't wait to destroy the dream of this firefly, but the other one have no words, couldn't find a words to discover and to praise and to also encourage this firefly to glow
1: speaking of support and encouragement from families you mentioned leaving disney and your parents not understanding what was that push behind it because i read that after you left disney everything in your life just went downhill you were depressed you were divorced it sounds like a really terrible time
0: yeah uh, it was a terrible time right i mean so i got a little bit tired of doing animation so i got a, a job um George George was working on Star Wars episode 1 so i was like i'm going to try it out so i went up to work in industrial light magic for about 2 years and but there's that inner passion of me that i want to create this film called The Giant Leap right it's about the story of how animal discover Noah's are it's something that is very personal And I really want to tell that story because I was so blown away. One day I was reading the Bible, Book of Genesis, that these animals were called by God. They were inspired. They came to the ark seven days before the flood. I said, my goodness, what did these animals saw? What did they saw that caused them to come to find this refuge? I mean, all this year, it took 120 years for Noah to build the ark. I want to tell that story. I want to really create a story. And so I started to develop this thing, started back in when I was in Disney. Then I went to Warner Brothers. I had this written as a rough script and Warner Brothers embraced it for two years, but the script came back to me. I own it again. There's this inner voice inside of me that says, hey, David, you are a miracle. I should not live my life just for retirement. I want to do something that has a meaning. I want to work that can carry into eternity. I want to do something that impact the childrens from generation to come. I love Disney, what Disney did for me for my career, but that's not me. That's not me. I want to do something that I believe in. Taking the animation of the art that I love, I thought I was going to become a painter like those Van Gogh painters, right? They're famous after they died 500 years later. But Disney has brought a new form of art within me. And now I get to tell a story of the Bible. I want to really make that big world come alive. I want to make that hundred years of building the ark from the animal point of view i want to make that journey for children or adults to recognize this god he loved us so much and he created this beautiful ark for those who believe and they would be saved if they go into this ark so that was something that i was really passionate you were asking me when i love it cost me everything absolutely it cost me everything my first wife left me i moved down from san francisco to orange county I was in a dark, dark place, an anxiety attack. You know, I didn't have depressions. My family deserted me. I feel so alone in my garage, in my home here in Orange County. I didn't know what to do. But there is this long and bright calling in my soul. This is what I was born to do. That was really clear.
1: I love that you were so clear. This is what you were born to do. But that that period. I don't want to diminish it. It was three to four years long. That's a really long time. When I read about this period in your life, it reminded me very much of the story of Job. He also lost everything. And I wonder, do you feel at any point that God had abandoned you? Was there any doubt? Was there any, yes, I believe this is what i meant to be, but maybe not now?
0: I feel like God has abandoned me. That's 22 years ago. I still feel like that today. I feel like God has abandoned me. Yeah. I mean, God just never shows up in an audible voice. You know, yeah, even though I pray, I do my devotions. I never sense that God's this close. I mean, maybe some people does. I don't. I struggle. I still struggle. Sometimes I feel like God doesn't even hear what I have to do. This is nothing new, right? I mean, even King David, he's struggling with anxiety and fear for people pursuing him, even as a king and his sons trying to kill him. Where's God? Where's God? He has no beginning, no end. So, for his perspective, I still have to recognize how small. You know, with the short little span of life, that 54 years, I know that's hard for us to imagine eternity. How I respond, what I do, what I invest in, what I'm passionate about, it matters because it has something to do with eternity. And so it's important. Yeah, my faith is small and I'm learning. I fall, I struggle, but I know that I don't struggle alone.
1: What is the vision behind Can Do Films?
0: I grew up with so many negativity in my world. When I came to America, it only takes one word from my art teacher to say, you can do it. So I really want to bring this imitations of God's love to every humanity through animated films. And that's what Can Do Film does. I want every kid, every adult to know that you can do it. We want to create films that is far from religious, but I want to create that story of imitations from book of Genesis, to book of revelations of God's love for all humanity.
1: When you're creating the stories for Kendo, and we talked earlier about what makes a good story set, it's this common emotions that everyone can get swept around. I get the feeling that another point that you probably learned from Disney is telling stories from an animal perspective, which is something that I've noticed all your stories have. Why an animal?
0: If you stop in a traffic light and you look over to the car next to you, you see a dog picking out. Didn't matter what kind of dog, every person would smile. I noticed animal has that way of telling stories that goes beyond culture. Every country, every town, every city, every street, there's dogs, there's cats. Every town, there's animals, right? So if I can use the book of Genesis and turn Noah into a animal turn Moses into a fish, turn Daniel into a lion, turn Jesus into a donkey. I mean, you can use animal because it's really the substance of the stories, right? Animal is universal. Chinese is not necessarily universal because Chinese stories, maybe it could relate to me. So what makes it universal? When you add mushi into it, the Chinese story of Mulan become universal because now you're telling my stories. I'm Mushi. I have low self-esteem problems. I try to prove to my peers that I can do it. That's why I talk about creativity, storytelling, using from a different angle, and you can tell your stories. Less is more. That's what we said in Disney KISS, K I S S, keep it simple, stupid. And that's awfully like very hard, even for people like Procter and Gamble. Keep it simple, stupid.
1: And all these stories you have actually turned into little books like. Jordan's guest or Firefish, where the fish talks the perspective of Moses parting the Red Sea, which is very fascinating. And I noticed as well that these stories are actually sold and available in China, in every elementary school. I imagine getting these stories into a place like that must have been quite interesting.
0: Yes, you know, you can find Bibles in the libraries in China, right? So what happened is that the Lion King can go to every country, every nation, right? Why? Everybody know Mickey Mouse. Why? Because Disney are able to break down something that's universal language, and they're able to engage children. If your story can engage someone that can't even understand the language, if you can visually tell them, you have succeeded. For example, Tom and Jerry. you don't need translation. You can read and look at Tom and Jerry, and you'll laugh, and you'll enjoy. It doesn't matter if you're a three-year-old all the way to a hundred-year-old. You love Tom and Jerry. It's simple. So, same thing. How can I take something that's very complex? It takes someone to go to seminary and study really, really hard. You gotta have so many different years of degree to understand a scripture. How do you take something that's complex and break it into a nation that doesn't understand it? They think it's Western, they think it's a religion. But take something that's wholesome. That's exactly what the Bible is. It's really wholesome. It's really just morale. It's pure morale. It's the best morale, but because in the context of a Jewish Israelite, it's hard for us, especially for me from China. When I grew up, I always remember people say, oh, Christianity is for the Westerners. So when I had this vision of creating this animal, you're now given a new, fresh perspective. For the people that probably never would open the Bible, they see the transition of pardon the recipe from this 3 little fish, Chasing by the great white. and When the great white was trying to devour all the fish, the 3 little fish make a simple call. said, dear fish maker, would you put good fish on one side and bad fish on the other? And then the Red Sea opened it in two. And now you're seeing it from the fish perspective of Moses parting the Red Sea. So that's what I talk about creativity. Taking something that everybody knows, you break it apart and you start afresh.
1: What's next for you in Kendo Films?
0: You know, I love Disney, Star Wars. That was 22 years ago. On day one, I believe, creating something that's epic, high quality. I can't sacrifice quality. Just because this is something that's about the story of the Bible. I did not want this to be very low budget, very bad quality. I want the best team to create this film. 33 million budget. That's very doable to have the same output as what Disney film is putting out. Disney's making 200 millions per film. Mine's 33. Make everything here in North America. I didn't want to make it in China because all this piracy. So I really want to make this film really beautiful because that's what God deserves. People think you're nuts. You know why 33? You could do it in three. But I'm not interested in doing five star stick figures. My story is called from the Lion King to the King of Kings. You know, if I create the Lion King to be five stars. Then for the King of Kings, I want to be for seven, eight, infinite stars. Yeah, just this year, I finally have this big corporate company that came in and gave me 17 of the CEO's money. And so what's next? You're asking me. I don't know. It's going to be another 22 years until I find the next 16 so I can get my 33 and get it going. I haven't given up.
1: David, thank you so much for your time. I normally love to end all my interviews with the same questions. So the first is this. Do you feel like you've found your why?
0: I absolutely know I'm why. My why is much easier than most people. So my why is why am I here? I should have died in my mother's womb. So my why is because my life is a miracle. Every breath, everything that I do, I have to remember I have to live the meaning of miracle through my creativity, through my drawings. I'm not promised to tomorrow, I'm not promised to next moments. But if I do have this one breath, I got to live out that miracle because I owe it to this miracle maker. So I want to create miracle with the work in Can Do Films every day, every breath for every person.
1: And what kind of legacy do you want to leave behind?
0: The legacy I want to live for sure is not having people to admire or adore because there's nothing admirable and adored Within me, because I know where I came from. I was inspired by this so called invisible God, but I'm inspired by what He did tangibly 2000 years ago. So I want to be remembered of what He has said that you are enough and that you can do it. So on my tombstone, I want people, if they ever mention the word, I can do it, you can do it. I want to be part of that bridge that the word can do. It's beyond an ordinary word that can do has power to one individual. And that can do came from this living God that breathed and loved them and died for them and resurrected. And now you can have that can do spirit in every challenge that you do. I want them to remember that they can do it.
1: And what do you think are the most important qualities of a successful person?
0: I think it's to give and to help and to empower the other person so that the other person can outdo that person that brought the hope of the message.
1: And where can people go to find out more about what you're doing, support, buy your books?
0: You can go to my website. My website, it's kendufilms, it's really easy to Google me. I think so far, there's only one Davy Lou in this world, as far as I know. If you want to hear my talk, just DaveyLiu.com, dot ucom
1: And is there anything else you'd like to share that we haven't covered so far?
0: No, I think I went beyond. You notice we're doing this in Zoom. I've closed my eyes the whole entire time because I'm just feeling the spirit. I've done quite a bit of interviews, and this is my first time in an interview with a malaysia interviewer post so i really want to be sensitive and respect the audience that whoever hear this thing hopefully this message will lift up your soul and just inspires you and never give up because there's a can-do spirit in you so i want to say to you you can do it
1: and that was the end of episode 99 the show notes and transcript can be found at so this my forward slash 99 because some of you also submitted questions for davy there will also be a special episode featuring questions from the audience. So do stick around and hear Davey answering your questions. And stay tuned for next Sunday because we're entering episode 100. Because it's such a landmark, we're doing things a little different. I've invited the former CME guest, Red Hongi, from episode two. And a very dear friend of mine to come back on the podcast to interview me. We cover a lot of ground, including questions that you, dear listeners, submitted including why I started me, what keeps me going, some of the most impactful stories, why it takes to run a podcast, and so much more. So if you haven't done so already, do subscribe and see you next Sunday.